0: lives and also appreciate the special about Peter and his life um, and so uh, for the Gables who haven't been here we've been over the past several weeks studying Peter, his, his life and then we're getting into his epistles and what he has to say and so uh, we're just going through the first uh, Peter and second Peter and it's going to take us a long time. Because uh, you start to get into passages and you start to run with things, and so it gets into some nitty-gritty, um, but it's all good. So if you would turn to First Peter, uh, chapter two, and I'm gonna, as I as I was preparing, I was starting to rehash a little bit of chapter one that we went over, and I felt like I need to go back over that, and then I. I kind of ran a little bit of rave, but I feel, felt like it was the Lord's leading. So a lot of this is going to be going over chapter 1 again, but then we'll get into chapter 2. It'll move along and uh, hopefully into some of chapter 3. So first Peter, chapter 1, the First Peter identifies himself as an authority, that being one of the 12 apostles. He uh, identifies his audience, those Christians, east of the... Seven churches mentioned in Revelation chapter 3 from where they were most probably running from persecution as they are identified in the eastern modern day Turkey area as strangers and scattered. So it would make sense. That's who he was ministering to. He then identifies the Trinity of God and their character with relation to our salvation. God of an abundant mercy providing salvation for all foreknowing those of us who would decide to believe on Jesus Christ we being referred to as the elect. Jesus Christ He talks about resurrected sprinkled His blood upon the true mercy seen in the heaven for the sins of the world. That Christ's resurrection and ascension is the pathway to heaven for all who believe in Him. The Holy Spirit he speaks of the witness of Jesus Christ in us, the sanctifying agent to transform us into the likeness of Christ our Savior. And not only is heaven a guarantee, but there's an inheritance, he tells us, awaiting us, that we will become joint heirs with Christ in eternity. Peter is telling us that it is upon the thinking on these things, just like that song we sung, that's very scriptural to be thinking about the things laid ahead for us. That's the pow- this is the power to overcome this sin-cursed world we live in and the difficulty, pain, and heartache it will bring. Perhaps you can understand this mindset a little better if we put it in some earthly terms. Imagine there are two men who are working in their lives, one whose father is the richest man in the world, who has willed everything to his son, whose father gives his son whatever he needs, whenever he needs it, for the work he needs to do. The other man has a father who is needy. This man is challenged to make it day by day with the constant what ifs of tomorrow. What happens if I get sick? And can't work. What if the business I work for goes out of business? All the pressure upon his shoulders to bear alone. Both work in life. One works carefree while the other lives with all the cares upon him. Or let's think of someone who's been struggling just to get by who's, who is down and sees no light at the end of the tunnel. Then all of a sudden they find out that they want a sweepstake drawing worth $10 million, I think we could put ourselves in that shoes for a little bit, and that this person will be receiving the money beginning one year from now, after all the records have been verified and everything straightened out, what do you think that person's <clears throat> excuse me next year's life will be like compared to what it would be like if someone had not won the sweepstakes? Now remember, until the year expires, they live in the same circumstances but winning the sweepstakes allows that person to live in a hope and it makes all the difference in living. But this hope, this type of hope, is an unsure hope. It is the common definition of hope. It is a cross your fingers and and hope sort of thing. It will not, it is not a will happen. It is a probably not, but might could happen. You know, most of the world lives on that little, that little edge, it's what keeps them going. It's the only hope that keeps them alive. When people play the lottery, it is by this type of hope. It is a hope whose odds of winning are equivalent to the lottery numbers drawn to be one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. I've told that to an employee who asked me to give him a number because he was playing the lottery. And I gave him those numbers. I got to about three and he said, Stop it, that will never come up. But, you know, even if those numbers were ever drawn, which lottery players would say that's impossible, <laughs> the odds of the numbers one to seven being drawn again the very next day will be, have the same odds as any other number being drawn. People know what hope's about. I mean, that, they'll do it on that much of a hope. Now, let me tell you something about this world's wealth that is corrupt and defiled. Riches kept for your selfish pleasure is empty. There's a lot of empty rich people in the world. If you have enough of it hidden away, the world will be at your house, at your doorstep, pounding you for a piece of it. It will be miserable. That's why people try to hide themselves if they win a big a bunch of money. Money deteriorates with time, and if there's ever a time we've seen that at 7% inflation, we see how it, how it gets eaten up, it fades. You must work at investing it, which takes your mind and time, and it can be gone in a moment's notice as in the days of depression or war times. Or on a sudden onset of an incurable illness, it's powerless. Peter well understands the power to live in the difficulty of this present world is seated in hope. Hope of what is yet to come in the future, to get our minds set on that. But he has a different definition of hope. It is a future expectation of a sure thing. It is a no-so future. He further defines the Christian hope as a lively hope. It is the very power of living in the Christian life. First Peter 1 Peter 1.9, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. First Peter 1 Peter 1.4, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. First Peter 1 Peter 1.5, Who are kept by the power of God through faith. And first Peter 1 Peter 1.6, Wherein ye greatly rejoice. This is what he says. He further seals our salvation through the perfect connection of the ancient prophecies of the Messiah. Brother Mike was talking about that this morning. Connecting that to the person of Christ. Signifying the preaching of Christ. The Son of God crucified, killed, buried, and risen again for our justification. After telling us what a high, great, and all-knowing and all-powerful God we have. How He has solved our past lives in us in in a presence in our present life and secures the hope of our future, he pulls no punches and tells us that trials are a part of the Christian life. Yet he gives us how we are to think about the trials and difficulties of this life. We are to see trials as tests, tests that will grow us into maturity, tests that will no doubt fail at times, but will cause us to strive to pass in the future. I'll just tell you this. I've I failed some tests this week in my life, in my attitude. But it's causing me to not want to fail in the, in the future. It's part of growth. Trials of life, he says, are to be precious. They grow us and lead us into the way. Here's the end of it. That will bring glory to God. 1 Peter 1.7, the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The backdrop of these great truths, Peter tells us, get your mind tightly and securely wrapped around these truths. Remember, he's talking to people who are persecuted there. So you get your mind wrapped around this, wrapped around what's ahead, and it's a no-so, for-sure thing. 1 Peter 1.13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He then says there are a couple more things to wrap around your mind. Number one, to fearfully consider that you will stand at the judgment seat of God one day, and you'll answer for your life. He says... If you want to think on anything else, think on that. And he says, above all things, to never forget. And this would seem so obvious, but it must not be so obvious. To never forget the precious blood of Christ that redeemed you. There's a constant reminder through Peter. He brings this in constantly, constantly. Remember Christ. First Peter 1.23 Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. And at the conclusion, as if to separate, I kind of look at it as to separate a great fight between two enemies. He separates living in the flesh and living by the word of God. Peter preaches separation is what this is and brings in the Old Testament scripture of holy living, separated unto God, separated from the flesh. 1 Peter 1.15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter 1.23, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. It says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. The Apostle Paul worded the same thing in a different way. In Romans 8 13, he said, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify, kill the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now I want to make a point here. There is two common struggles. With Christians and churches in America. And here's one of them blending the spirit with the flesh. When the spirit is married to the flesh, the offspring of that is corrupt. Let me tell you what that offspring looks like bad music, indecent dress. Improper language, weak preaching, known sin not dealt with in the church. We've heard it, a bad apple doesn't turn the good apples, (laughs) or it doesn't turn good. The bad apple doesn't turn good. It turns the good apples bad. When you mix wrong with the right, it makes everything wrong. Satan is a master at that. There's another issue that's prevalent in Christians and churches. And I can relate to this because early in my Christian life, I was kind of like this. It is segregation of the spirit and the flesh. In its worst form, it's when a person acts a certain way at church but acts differently toward their peers, their friends, their coworkers, et cetera, those outside the church. But there's a more subtle way segregation. It is when our thought path leads back to lawfully living. I've done my obligations to God and now I'm free to do what my flesh wants to do. I came from a church, the Catholic church, who you had your obligations, you know, and you could fulfill them here or there and they gave you all sorts of options just to fulfill obligations to God. So when you're fulfilled, it's kind of like you can do what you want to do. maybe to help understand this it, a little better, it's, it's common for someone to labor Monday through Friday and, and to live for the weekend vacations and holidays. And there's nothing wrong with segregating work and play in that sense. However, the Christian life is not to be blended or segregated to be a segregated life between the flesh and the spirit. For one, it can't be done. The flesh and the spirit are forever enemies. What happens when you blend and segregate? You become like a different flavor of the world and powerless to help it. When you give your whole life over to the Word of God, it separates you from the world because it's, it's the total opposite of the world system. The world is okay with you being a flavor of it. There's a lot of Christians who are just flavors of the the world. They're just nice ones, you know. I don't care about that. But when your life and conversation condemns worldly living, it will come after you with a hatred. Living according to the word of God and holy living is synonymous. Now, With our thinking established and common themes that laid out for the rest of Peter's writings, Peter in chapter 2 of 1 Peter delves into the application concerning our relationships in life. He sets the stage. He sets some, some foundations, and then he says, this is how you are to live with the relationships around you. Let's pray. Father... This has been a long introduction, but I believe that's what you would have me to have said this morning. Lord God, I pray your Holy Spirit would work uh, in our lives and in our hearts and touch each one of us in a way that only you can. Lord God, hide me uh, behind your word. And may you be glorified today. May we come out of this place having heard from God. And Lord God, may we be obedient To what you've told us this morning. For we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'm going to go line by line through here. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, this describes what we used to be before we are saved. We are to be used to bees <laughs> of the old life that we lived for self. And just face it, that's what that was. It was about you. It was about what you thought and how you think and your ways. And you were your God. We, he says laying aside all these things. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, what is he? He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Galatians 6.15, For in Christ Jesus says, Neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Here's a reference, you know, it's not about religion, folks. It's about a relationship of Jesus Christ and His Word. Verse 2 and 3 says, As newborn babes, Desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Herein is our most important relationship we are to now have as being born again, learning the word of God. There's the whole thing. It's learning the word of God. Now I want to read to you verses 4 through 10. To whom coming as unto a living stone. Remember Peter and his name that he was first given, Cephas. Disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye are also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone Elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be, dis- be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which have which had not obtained mercy, but now have a, obtained mercy. Here is the important relationship that we are to understand, our relationship to the brethren, the church, And the chief cornerstone of it, Jesus Christ himself being the head of the church. The church is now the new operation of God to get the gospel out to the world. We've moved from uh, living by the law to living by grace through uh, the entity of the church. It's what God has established. This is new. We call this a fancy term as a dispensation, a new dispensation, a new order of business of how God operates. Verses 11 and 12, he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they shall speak evil, and where they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Here he calls out our general behavior before the unsaved. Remember, you are holy. We just talked about that. You're going to see common themes through Peter. He keeps repeating himself, repeating the same things. Separated. Your life condemns them, the world, so it will speak evil of you. The flesh wars against the spirit, but Peter shows us how to battle. He says, let your good works condemn the evil speaking. And in so doing, we turn them to God. A key word here, conversation. That's a common word that, that, uh, that Peter will bring out. We'll see it again here in a little bit. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And again, what was the end that Peter said? and glorify your Father which is in heaven, to give glory to God. Verses 13 through 17. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the King as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by Him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Here we see the attitude we need to have as we live in this world system. It's governments, it's leaders, all men in general, but we are yet to to love, it says, the brethren. It's a general statement to have respect unto all men. We are not to be found as adversarial. That's hard, ain't it? We're not to be fighters and brawlers, taking matters into our own hands. We find that in everyday life. Hey, those are tests. Sometimes we fail them. You know, if you really want to grasp what this is like. Study Daniel and Joseph. They were models in this area of life. Verses 18 through 20 Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward, that rotten, nasty boss. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Enduring grief and suffering wrongfully. That's part of the Christian life. For what glory is it if when you're buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently? This is acceptable with God. As we see here, I want you to think about this. as, As he's ministering, Peter's ministering, he's feeding the flock of God, which is among him, which... Three times, the Lord told him, Peter, dost thou love me? Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. This is what this is coming from. And he's ministering unto these people. And you're seeing these are the things that they go through in life. You've got the governments. You've just got people in general. You've got your work and your masters. And we're going to find here, later here other relationships involved. He's given here... As calling us servants and being subject to our masters. That it's in service to those we work for. Without excuse of the master's behavior. We are to live by Christ's example. This is the thing that we ought to think about. When we're tempted to take things in our own hands. And... and. Uh, and live in the flesh. We need to look at the example. We are never to be above our Master, Jesus Christ. It says in verse 21 through 25, For even here unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow His steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth, Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who, his own self, bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Christ is the example. That's why we can't get away with it. When you start to look at Christ's life, it just gives us no room. It gives us no room. Chapter 3, I want to delve into, continues speaking about some more specific relationships. Peter's just carefully just, here's where you deal in in life, and here's these relationships, and here's what you need to do. 1 Peter 3.1 Likewise, ye wives, being subject to, and subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be one. here's that word, by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Here Peter addresses the Christian wife as related to her husband. He begins with the words of her mouth. He shows the great power of the tongue, power to change her husband to godly living. Proverbs 15.4, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. 1 Peter 3.10, for he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, in his lips that they speak no guile. Peter's pretty smart here. He knows we need to watch our tongues. And specifically, he's talking to the ladies here in this area. And then he says, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair and of the wearing of gold or putting on apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God, great price. Peter moves from the mouth to the heart, the heart from which the right conversation flows. Here Peter is showing another form of conversation from a woman to her husband. I believe that Peter is saying... It's not bad for a woman to look good on the outside to her husband. That's not the point. That in itself is corruptible, but rather the main attraction of the wife to her husband is to be the inward commitment and submission to her husband. For those who are wives, those to be future wives, Proverbs 31.10 says, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he will have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. With my sons, that's, that's, that's one of the things that... I, I would say that you should always look for is, is a wife that you can trust it. That is that's the most precious thing a guy can have. There's all the other nice things and stuff about having a wife, but to be able to trust her and just know she's gonna be there, that is precious. That is the thing that needs to come out in the life of a wife more than all the other things above all those. Then he says, he gives an example, for after this manner in old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Notice the general description example of a good wife going to come back to another foundation holy women these are ones who are set apart unto God they're separated they're not of the world they love God specifically Sarah the wife of Abraham is mentioned though Sarah was attractive outwardly and desirable even to other men that Abraham had to deal with the heart of Abraham could safely trust in her That's what I see. He seemed to have just like this trust in her. No matter what, no matter who it was that was coming after, he he just had this trust in her. Now we go into the husbands. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, if you thought the wife's job was hard, look at what Peter says to the men. Figure her out. (laughs) Now, my son gave me a book as as a reference. International bestseller, Millions of Copies Sold, Everything Men Know About Women by Dr. Alan Francis. Uh, the Daily News says it fully reveals the shocking truth. And I don't know if you've seen this book, but it's all got blank pages in it. <laughs> now, we as men joke about that, okay? But knowing your wife is not really a hard job. Now, in the Old Testament it was. If you had 700 and plus 300, 1,000 of them, that, that, that was unspeakable, wasn't it? You just need to study her, listen to her, understand her responses to life situations, honor her for who she is, and protect her and partner with her. It says, as being heirs together of the grace of life, our wife is a partner in the Christian life. God makes this a priority for the man to treat his wife with honor to the extent his prayers will be hindered if not. I'll read that verse again. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Verse 8. Finally, Be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. You know, Christians are all to have the same mind one toward another. Now, we may have different personalities. Sometimes we use these as excuses. We may have different positions. We can use those as excuses. We may have different abilities or skills. But every Christian is to have, every Christian is to have these characteristics. Compassion. Love. To love as family. Pitiful and courteous. Now let's look at verses 9 through 12. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, Blessing. Knowing that ye are there unto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Here's that future look again. Remember where you're going. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil in his lips that's, that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Peter reminds us in these verses to seek peace over being right. We're to seek peace in our lives. We talked about this. We had a whole uh, message on this on Sunday night about ensuing peace, seeking peace in our relationships. Again, he says, to the extent if we do not, again, our prayers could be hindered. It stops are communications from God. Verses 13, And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. And I'm going to end on this point. Peter says that you overcome evil with good that it's someone that it's it's really hard for someone to harm you because of that kind kind of attitude but he also says sometimes you will suffer for your good there will be people who harm you for your good and he says when this happens he gives us three things to do he says be happy there's a great reward for such treatment be not afraid, knowing that God will see you through this. And be not troubled, the future is in God's hands. So we'll stop there at verse 14, 1 Peter chapter 3, as he's dealing with our relationships. He's given us the general applications. He's given us something to look for when we need to sing those songs. I mean, when we come to church, we, it's a reminder of what's ahead of us and it gives us power to live this, this life and it's a true, oh, it's, not, it's not a hope so, it's a no so. We, we know what's coming ahead of us and that's how we're going to have to live our lives. And then we're going to have to apply these things to our relationships if we are to give what all of us need to do, strive to do is to get God the glory heads bowed and eyes closed, the pianist coming to to play. we don't have an altar per se up here to kneel down at, but there's the altar of your heart when God's spoke to your heart and how you respond to that let the Songs speak to you, and let God speak to your heart. Answer Him as He has spoken to you today. We've got a lot to rejoice about. We've got a confidence. We should have such a confidence. In this world. Knowing that God's got all things taken care of. Our past. He's taken care of. He's, work, he's, he's in us. In the present. He's promised us a future. He cannot fail. He is a great and wonderful God. He's got all things taken care of. And He wants us to minister. Out there. To get the gospel out to the world. And it's going to be done by. His way. And Peter's showing us his way. It's not the fleshly way. It's a spiritual way. Take my life and let it be consecrated to Thee. What a wonderful God we have. Hey, Peter's encouraging us. Hey, I'm, I'm encouraged. We've had people out. It seems that I don't know how church has been for you, Nathan, but it's been these people are sick, and then the next week those people are sick, and we get, have crowds come up, but we have people who can step in and just play piano. I mean, we're just, we're just very blessed. And uh, so be praying for those who are who are ill, that they get better, and... and uh, and I just pray for you all that you all would have a good week. Um Brother Andy, would you close us in a word of prayer? we're in your house are dismissed.